Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4119 of the Bugle audio newspaper for a visual world. It is Friday the 30th of August. This is the Bugle for the week beginning Monday the 2nd of September 2019. I'm Andy Zaltzman, back in London, the city where a thousand years ago today... Not a lot was going on, really. Bit of this, bit of that. Now they're totally different. <laughs> Arguably too much. If only we'd find some kind of middle ground between those two. Joining me today, all the way from Australia, Alice Fraser, and all the way from the 1980s, Mark Steele. <laughs> Hello, Andy. <laughs> Hello. Well, the 80s seemed like quite a quite a sort of little, idyllic little little reservoir of calm to yes. go back to, didn't they? You're changing your opinion on Thatcher, Mark. Oh, <laughs> it was a sweetheart compared to this. <laughs> She'd Te- be leading it now, wouldn't she? She wouldn't be dithering about. Technically, I'm also from the 80s. Yeah. And some of the comedy I was doing back then was... <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's reasonable to say Thatcher was evil, but at least she was competent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, is, that, is that a better combination? At no. least the coal trains ran on time. Right? <laughs> um, we are recording. On the 30th of August, more on the issues we've uh, tangentially touched on there shortly. Uh, on the 30th of August, in 1963, the Moscow-Washington hotline opened, a uh, phone line between the leaders of the USA and the Soviet Union. Like so many things, it was a state-run utility then, now just a privatised phone line. I suppose things do change. In, on the 31st of August, 1897, Thomas Edison patented the Kinetoscope, uh, which was uh, the world's first movie projector, uh, I think. Oh, I should have fucking checked that. <laughs> Don't bother checking it, Andy. Right. No one's judging. Let's call it the world's first movie projector. Uh, massive hit films on the kinetoscope included Man Holding a Hat for Two Seconds, Apple <laughs> Staying on a Plate, Woman Slightly Dancing, and One Twentieth of a Minute Later. Uh, the original kinetoscope enabled films to be viewed by just one person at a time, uh, but it had sadly fallen out of use by the uh, time the movie career of former Bugle co-host John Oliver began. Uh, on the 31st of August, 161 AD, Emperor Commodus was born. 12 AD, Emperor Caligula was born. Warning, if you were born on the 31st of August, do not under any circumstances take a holiday in or near Rome, just in case those are two bad precedents. As always, a section uh, of the bugle is going straight in the bin this week. Uh, and other people's homes are a f- of a lot nicer than your home section. <laughs> TV actor Gullet McHarp explains why his home is a f- of a lot nicer than yours, for reasons ranging from a global kitchen with 18 different bread ovens from around the world <laughs> to his 5G-enabled auto-flushing fair trade mock ivory toilet, which automatically detects what kind of deposit he has uh, he has he has uh, left. Uh, whilst fund fund manager Elizabeth Lopez Plack berates you for your lack of money and social awareness <laughs> in not owning a jalousie, a women-only jacuzzi, uh, and multi-millionaire artisan baker's agent Pino Glurring <laughs> takes us around his 300-acre rewilded natural adventure golf site in which you have to putt your ball around a sleeping bear into the actual squirrel hole of a 400-year-old oak tree and then drive it through a functioning 1760s Dutch windmill which grinds the flour up for his top celebrity clients. <laughs> including the uh, controversial Cake Fuhrer 2018 winner, Jazzard Plaint, and the former Fake It to Cake It champion, Gerard Fandleworth. That section in the bin. <laughs> the, um, the phone line thing, that, that actually reminds this is true. I once, I don't know why I did this, and I'm not proud of it, I was once a guest on George Galloway's radio show on something or other, 
and it was in some strange little peculiar office somewhere in the middle of London and I went in and I went downstairs and I was just waiting I could just hear him sort of about to introduce me and he used to do these I mean George Galloway's done many indefensible things but these peculiar <laughs> introductions now let me introduce the incandescence of perambulation all this sort of thing <laughs> that <laughs> The obfuscation that allows the oblivion into all this sort of stuff. <laughs> and as I looked round, there was this there was this woman there in a bikini. And I thought, what, eh? And in the sort of ne not even in the next office, in the same sorry, not even in the next office, in the same room, but in a sort of behind a partition, but that was didn't even cover the whole room. There was a chat line thing going on, but a on the a telly, one of these channels, and this woman was on the bikini, and she was going, she started, hello, mm, what are you eating? Oh, Heinz sponge pudding. I like syrupy things and all that. And, all and that? Like that's a thing? Well, I don't know. Yeah, that's sort of, I can't remember the exact words, but it was, I'm trying to do it as if I was doing it. And, uh, but there she was, and then there was a sign up saying, um, no fingers down pants. And, and meanwhile, sort of, this was on to the left and to, and to the right. And all of the toxicity of the irrigation of the nebulation that pervades this capitalistic fascistic literary it was really it was like a really strange dream <laughs> oh yeah. sounds delightful anyway that just put me in mind your little right. bit about yeah, yeah. the um that's the 80s for you the 60s phone line had, had she ever um gone to iraq to talk to saddam Hussein? <laughs> <or not? laughs> um Anyway, it's time now. I think she had exactly that's what she was saying. I like Baghdad. Do you? Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> Weapons of mass destruction. Family show. <laughs> <laughs> Top story this week, and, well, we're going to have to start with uh, the state of British democracy. Parliament is uh, being prorogued, which was a word that, frankly, no one had ever noticed until, till recently. Uh, Mark, I'm hereby appointing you our uh, constitutional affairs correspondent. Well, it's perfectly normal, apparently. This is, I mean, I, exactly. Nobody's ever prorogued anything, have they? At any point, has anyone? Oh, I've gone and prorogued me keys again. No one's ever done that. And now this this whole business, which does seem to be to be shutting down Parliament for several weeks for all that, and then they've and the bit is that such a lie. <laughs> That, oh, it's just normal, just normal procedure. That's all we'd be doing. Just normal procedure to shut down at the most historic point when Parliament would be discussing things, and it's such a naked, open line. They've left three days left to discuss it, and even that on the Tuesday they'll say, "Oh, we've we've released some leopards into the House of Commons." <laughs> uh, but this is perfectly normal procedure. We won't be able to discuss anything today, and the day after that, Ian Duncan Smith will be sort of coked up, sitting there <laughs> smoking a crack pipe with a flamethrower <laughs> <laughs> with a Stetson going, yee shooting anyone who comes in and they'll say, this is just normal procedure this is no, no way, absolutely ridiculous the opposition will say this is any way Brexit and it's just, but the other side is just seems to, I think they've got a little bit more of a sort of gumption about them but just so much they're doing that they're trampling over anything to get their way and the opposition's going 
oh, I don't know what to do, really. Maybe if we come up with a legislative whatnot and put it as back of the sort of bill to <laughs> cleaning, dry cleaning bill, we can maybe, oh, I don't know, maybe if we set up a national government of cookery in which <laughs> Dominic Grieve <laughs> takes charge of Brexit and John McDonnell makes the omelette, but Clyde Cymru won't go along with it because they want a leak. And... <laughs> Corbyn's insisting on a marrow from his allotment. I, oh, I don't know. And they're just... Uh, they've got to get some gumption about them, these people. Uh, but that's clearly what he's doing. He's barely... You know, he's ba- they're barely concealing it when... Their lies are so black. You know, when Reese Moggs going, we have to take power back from the elite. As I, <laughs> as I said this morning in Latin before my daily joust. <laughs> so, well, I mean, well, he was one of the ones that said uh, this is just perfectly, perfectly normal procedure. As but, though that man knew anything about what was perfectly yes, normal. And perfectly normal for him is getting his children to recite the entirety of Virgil's eclogues before they're allowed breakfast. (laughs) Well, I think it's fairly simple. Like, on one hand, an unelected man has asked an unelected woman whether he can shut down the government so he can get what he wants on the premise that it's what the country wants, which is a fair enough point if you truly believe that the country knows what it wants, knew what it wanted when it asked for it, and will not regret it once it's irreparable, which arguably it already is. (laughs) That said, I do sort of get why Leave voters are only getting more and more furious. It's like... If you're complaining to your parents about, I don't know, having to practice the piano and your parents are like, well, do you want to quit then? And you say, actually, yes, I do. And your parents say, no, you'll regret it. It's really useful later in life to understand how to read music. And you go, I hate it. I want to quit and play computer games with my friends. And they're like, but you're really lucky your school offers a free music program. And you're like, I want to fucking quit the fucking piano. And they're like, it's for your own good. And then all of a sudden it's less about whether or not the piano lessons are worthwhile and more about the fact you're not being allowed to leave. And then you burn down the house. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's all, that's all, that's, it's it's our, yes. yeah, it's our precious democracy in action. Pro rogue, coincidentally, uh, was also uh, on um, on Boris Johnson's Tinder profile. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, we are taking. Come back on, con- he's an amateur rogue at best. <laughs> we are taking back control <laughs> yes. of the quaintly British parody democracy that we hold so dear. But all this, oh, we must, we must, yeah, our, our, yeah, we're a democracy loving country. I think our attitude towards democracy is, I guess, like when you meet someone who says, "Yeah, my great grandmother, uh, I love her." She's still alive, amazing, got all her faculties. You must come round and see her one day, and you go round to visit, and the great-grandmother is chained to a radiator in a dungeon, naked, but for the mouldering remnants of a gimp outfit, <laughs> saying, am I still beautiful? <laughs> and then your friend says, well, she needs watering, and then wazzes powerfully into her sunken eye sockets before grumbling that she fails to express the requisite level of gratitude. That, that's basically our relationship with democracy. I, I think. think that was... I think Corbyn said <laughs> very similar thing. Um, it's been described as a full frontal assault on democracy, uh, full frontal and politically priapic with the robotic flame-throwing cock of cynical opportunism <laughs> strafing democracy in its private parts. It's all <laughs> just further indignities uh, for this... Um, well, as I've said before, it does make you want to go round World War cemeteries knocking on graves and apologising. <laughs> well, yeah, well, Matt Hancock said in uh, during the election campaign for Tory leadership he wrote to all the other candidates to implore them to specifically rule out that they would do this because he said it would be it would bring shame on the war dead yeah he said it would go against everything that those men who waded onto those beaches fought and died for yes and now he's done exactly that but I but people have said he's a hypocrite but I don't think he is because I think he really doesn't like those people who (laughs) who waded onto the beaches um because they were fighting for democracy, which he's clearly not a fan of. And I, so I don't think he's a hypocrite at all. I think he's right. been unfairly maligned there. Oh, uh, OK. 
So, yeah, 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 yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's very much about how you interpret these things. I mean, it Am- is. Amber Rudd similarly said the idea of leaving the EU to take back more control into Parliament and then to consider the idea of closing Parliament to do that is the most extraordinary idea I've ever heard. But extraordinary can mean many things, can't it? Yes. You know, we saw Ben Stokes for England. In, Which I'm in, sure in, we will come on to. We will come on to this. And I've, I've been incredibly disciplined <laughs> to have got, I don't know how long we've been recording for, what, 15 minutes, and without even mentioning, probably the greatest moment in the history of human civilization. Well, you are wearing the T-shirt right now right. that says, everyone, let's talk about Ben Stokes. That's uh, not a T-shirt, unless that is a tattoo. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wondered why it had nipples on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm taking back the nipple. Yeah. Um, I remember when I, when I was a, uh, about 14 and I was talking about cricket in the class with a kid just before the lesson started and one of the Ard kids come in and he heard this and he went, oh, for Christ's sake, still. He said, I bet your balls have got seams round them. <laughs> and I... I don't often look back wow. at that. I think that was actually quite brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, for the days of eloquent bullies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But we will come on to that. But um, oh, I think we? the opposition is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've made, that's what I was told. Yeah, good. Uh, no, the opposition to it. I said there's the, the official opposition. Oh, I saw Joe Swinson, the Liberal woman. Because they're sort of. They, they're going. Oh, the, the, our entire raison d'etre, our whole, the reason why we exist is to oppose a no-deal Brexit. That's all we ever want to do. But if it means sitting next to Jeremy Corbyn, then I'm not going that far. I'm not <laughs> making that... And she was on Newsnight, and she was on for about 10 minutes, and all she went on about was about how this was putting the Queen in an awkward position. Gee, uh, uh, that is, uh, and that's reasonable because of all the things that are going to happen. People without medicines and vital supplies and our democracy being trampled on. But the main thing is that Her Majesty had to spend ten minutes this week googling prorogging <laughs> when she was looking forward to an episode of Pointless, and that's the main thing. You stupid twat! I've got. Is it any bloody wonder that they're getting away with it, you great, stupid, steaming twat? I just... And then there was Clyde Cymru at one point. Oh, I don't know about not if Corbyn's good. Oh, fucking dad! Just... Just vote to stop it. That's all you've got to do. Yes, but he don't know. But we know oh, what if he doesn't see it in Welsh as well? Oh, no wonder they get away with it. Oh, you great useless wazzocks. All you've got to do is sit together for one minute and go, well, we're going to bring... There's more of them. If you add in all the Tories who've said that they would do anything, you know, but of course, as you say, you know, they're all... Three weeks ago, I would gladly Velcro my own children to a barbecue and grill them <laughs> while adding an extra lighter fuel rather than have no deal Brexit for a minute. Well, yes, but on the other hand, I don't like my children. And, uh, <laughs> all they've got to do is vote against it to bring him down. It's not that hard. That's all they've got to do. This week, turn up and vote a no confidence thing. Well, isn't on it? one hand, yes, we could use the tools of democracy to fight this democratic battle. On the other hand, people are calling each other traitor on both sides. Uh, the the Remain voters are calling, you know, the Leave voters traitors to the idea of decency and common sense, and the Leave voters are calling the Remain voters traitors to the idea of England. Never have I seen the word traitor thrown around so much without a guillotine present. And I'm just saying, I've said it before, I'll say it again, bring back the n- murder dome. <laughs> Maybe tank ball, 
just fight it out like men. Oh, what would happen in the murder dome? Well, you'd, you'd, you'd get your two champions. You'd get Boris Johnson uh, with, with some sort of spiky ball on a stick. Oh, right. And then you'd get... Uh, Jeremy Corbyn with, uh, I assume, another spiky ball on probably a locally sourced stick, and then they would just fight it out, and whoever won, won. Oh, right, what, like in the Mad Max? Heads on a spike on the Tower of London. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, that is in the great tradition of British politics, heads on a, <laughs> heads on a spike. There's been a whole talk of, uh, you know, oh, well, this is not in, 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 in British traditions. Michael Gove. Uh, himself, um, the. Uh, on, I mean, it's a fine it. British tradition to throw people into a pit of asps and let them <laughs> get yeah. poisoned to death. Yeah, well, well that's, that's before yeah. we had uh, league football. To mm. be fair, um, <laughs> and uh, organised sport. That's how they sorted out the Corn Laws, wasn't it? <laughs> Michael Gove said, "I think it will be." This was uh, Michael Gove a while ago talking about the possibility of proroguing Parliament. I think it would be wrong for many reasons. I think it would not be true to the best traditions of British democracy. That, that I mean, the first half might be right. The second half, I mean, this is very much in the best traditions of British democracy, which is essentially a, a, a lunatic at heart. British, it is kind of contradictory, not nonsensical. I mean, we we cling to it as a, you know it's better than the alternatives, as uh, what well, Churchill said. I'm just not going to be happy till someone's head is being kicked round a courtyard like Cromwell's. He was from East Anglia, right? You know, whatever you sort of Cambridgeshire, no, but East Anglia. Very nice. Yeah, yeah, it'd be like, it'd be like that. <laughs> I'm sick of this king. He's <laughs> all portrayed by these sort of, you know, Shakespearean actors. Fade be from this very day, Parliament shall rule this blessed be rum old do if we lose, won't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, Ken Clark, who uh, was, uh, I believe, in the same parliamentary intake as Oliver Cromwell, um, he... <laughs> um, he accused the government. Bear in mind, he is a you know conserv- former Conservative government minister. Uh, accused the government of telling blatant lies. And bear in mind, he's been in politics for decades, and he's worked for the tobacco industry. So if there's one politician <laughs> who should be able to spot a blob of bullshit plopping fully formed from the bullainess of Boris and Bumption, it is it is Ken Clark. Very nice. Uh, Sam Gima said, uh, "I have long since gone past the point of focusing primarily on my career." And Sam saying that he's prepared to, to stand. Um, the, the, the thing that ri- rises from that comment is, why were you focusing primarily on your career in the first place? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that just everything that's wrong with politics? I mean, I, I, yes, this is something I think uh, we might have done on the, on the department on Radio 4 about 15 years ago, the idea anyone who ever expresses an interest in going into politics as a career should instantly be constitutionally barred from doing it. <laughs> and we could fit that into our constitution. Now, there's a lot of been talk, oh, is this unconstitutional? It's quite hard to say, given that over the past thousand-plus years that you know England has existed, or uh, Britain, the United Kingdom, the closest we've come to writing anything down was the Magna Carta in 1215. And from the Magna Carta, there are about four clauses remaining, one allowing the City of London's London to do what the living f*** it wants, one about the etiquette of when you're allowed to waz in rivers and hedges, and one about the right to ignore all other responsibilities for the duration of a test match. Um, at- Doing people... <laughs> if someone has a waz in a hedge and, like, Michael Gove went past, would he go, well, this is unconstitutional. <laughs> this is an affront to the very... To the very rules and laws upon which our great land stands. I'm sure, I'm sure he would. It, and then it, does if, it himself the hand, five minutes later. <laughs> then has a huge shit <laughs> in the middle of St Paul's Cathedral. <laughs> well, circumstances have changed. <laughs> I mean, if on the other hand the hedge is a homeless person, then he's right on he, it. He would. Sally. Um, yes. <laughs> just helping the homeless person to grow. Um, 
But I interpreting uh, the British Constitution is basically along the lines of being a harrow specs. You're looking at the entrails of a slaughtered animal. I mean, you can you can basically see what you want in it, can't you? And interpret it, you know, how you want. Well, I think this lower intestine clearly says that the harvest is going to fail. Bullshit, Terry. The way that liver splattered onto the ground means that there is incontrovertible evidence that Rovers are going to win the FA Cup. You can basically just see anything you want in it. If you want to know how the British Constitution works, and I know there, are, you know, a lot of our listeners are not from from Britain, just go to a disused quarry at midnight, belch, and note down what the echo says. That's basically as much as we've got for a constitution. Boris Johnson has been skillfully positioning himself as the Jimi Hendrix of constitutional pottery. Um, he's doing things people hadn't really realised were possible, and will no doubt spawn a slew of imitators of varying quality but unstoppable loudness. He said that the, the reason for the proroguing was because the government needs to be able to enact a bold and ambitious legislative agenda. Now, in terms of reasoning... This is like gagging someone and claiming it's to stop their lips from getting sunburned or from yes. getting a sore throat for singing too loudly or to help them with their new diet or to stop them blurting out details of a surprise birthday party. Um, I'm just getting more and more reasons for it. It's more and more persuasive. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. But I mean, it's sort of... Maybe that's his mistake. Is The one mistake he's made is, is lying about that because everything else is really blatant about it, isn't he? Yeah. And well, but, the, this talk of the Queen as well being put in a difficult position. Essentially, constitutionally, the Queen is beholden to issue a yeah, whatever response to anything they ask her to do. But she must be just roiling on the inside. She must be thinking, why did I have to be born in the 20th century? If I'd been 200 years older, they'd oh, yeah. be on the bloody bonfire. Yeah, oh, I bet she is. <laughs> I bet, yeah. Well, and half her family, of course. <laughs> Which they'd have been able to do that, wouldn't they, at one point? <laughs> Shuffle them up to a mental sort of room above an attic somewhere in Amsterdam. <laughs> Claim they died of syphilis. Those were the days. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's... it's um, but I, I'm, I'm actually not entirely pessimistic about it, actually, because I, um, I think that just bit by bit, there's sort of quite a lot of people are getting quite cross and, and that will come to play out at some point in some way i don't quite know how tank ball tank ball <laughs> yeah, well, yeah 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 <laughs> i am starting to think that holding binary referendums and highly divisive issues without properly defining the terms and outcomes in advance might be a bit silly <laughs> with the benefit of hindsight well in that case we need another one then <laughs> to, i know i know that, i mean any when sort of people get oh the second referendum will sort it well i mean i am in favor of that but it's not going to sort it. No, nothing will sort it. No, nothing apart, will sort apart it. Apart from a, a time machine or the impending apocalypse, which appears to be getting closer by the day. Maybe that's we should embrace it. Um, there's a, going to be a public information campaign. Uh, Michael Gove, and remember, kids, you can't spell Michael Gove without using all the letters in Machiavelli, um, is, uh, he's set to launch um, a £100 million public information campaign with the slogan, Get Ready, apparently, uh, to get get us all prepared for the, the eventuality of a no-deal Brexit. And uh, no doubt this news has enthused both the uh, hard boner Brexiteers and graffiti-spraying community alike. Uh, it's been funded, this £100 million campaign, by stealing money from the NHS and letting people die instead. <laughs> oh, which is exactly what they promised on the side of a bus. Yeah, that's it. We'll let people die. That's what. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they haven't said I that. I mean, they're really doing a favour for everyone in, in the democracy. The more people you kill off, the more your vote is worth. Yes, that's true. That's statistics. Especially yeah. once you've sort of cut down immigration, so the population goes down and down and down. Mm. 
And yeah, that's a very good point. Just think how powerful we'll all be. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm still fascinated because a lot you sort of hear a lot on the phone ins and they go, these people go, we, we'll get through it. It's all the fuss. We got through the Blitz. And I just think, yeah, but we didn't vote for the Blitz. Did we? <laughs> Maybe we did. <laughs> Maybe well, we I mean, did. no one reads them. We voted for it. Get on with it. <laughs> What's all it? Look, the Luftwaffe. Just get on. Just but Coventry. It's still there. I voted about it. Set a light. <laughs> well, no, no one actually reads a full manifesto, do they? Who knows what Neville Chamberlain might have sneaked in there. <laughs> <laughs> Alice, you are our Southern Hemisphere correspondent, uh, and this is, uh, well, a story mo- mostly from, from the hemisphere that you, you hold so dear. Yes, indeed, Andy. <laughs> in inspiring news for ambitious pyromaniacs, an area nearly one times the size of the Amazon rainforest is on fire. <laughs> Did you know the Amazon is so big that it could only fit twice into a country the size of Wales if you shrank it down to half the size of Wales? <laughs> <laughs> to date, at least 40,000 spe- plant species, 427 mammal species, 1,300 birds, 378 reptiles, more than 400 amphibians, around 3,000 freshwater fish species and 100,000 invertebrate species have been described by scientists as living in the Amazon. And let's all agree that mostly they're super creepy and gross. <laughs> Overall, it's a great thing, Andy. I'm, I'm happy for these animals to burn. Most of them are weird looking and if they're medicinal or cancer-curing or really good for you, we've just circuit, short-circuited a whole hipster health trend. <laughs> Imagine if the Amazon had burned down before cafe culture discovered the acai bowl or quinoa via the Oprah Winfrey show. We'd have saved so much stress trying to figure out how to pronounce them. Let's get back to the good old days of medieval England where lunch was a well-balanced lump of cheese, slice of bread with gravel in and a whole raw onion. That's a solution to overpopulation. (laughs) Try eating a whole raw onion for lunch. (laughs) Your Australian Prime Minister did that, didn't he? Tony Abbott didn't eat a raw Uh, onion on television? He took a whole bite, but I'm, I'm saying go all the way through. They say the Amazon basin is the lungs of the earth, which is shocking news because I didn't know that was a vector for categorising geography. Which country is the appendix of the earth, Andy? Where is the thigh gap of the earth? Belgium. (laughs) Belgium. (laughs) Obviously, we all know where the arsehole of the earth is. It doesn't even bear saying. Um, well, I mean, th- th- that's the problem with describing it as the lungs of uh, the lungs of the planet is that you know people will hear that and think, well, you can survive with one lung, <laughs> and yeah. you can get quite a good price for a, a lung if you sell it to the right. My the granddad right owned a planet, smoked, <laughs> it's lived to be four hundred billion. They're all making it up. They say that uh, in the Amazon, they're losing a, a football pitch of forest every minute. But, but, I mean, if these were all being turned into football pitches, it would be fine. Uh, I wouldn't have a problem with it, but but they're not. Some people have claimed that the rise in fires is uh, due to uh, the policies of President Bolsonaro, or to give him his uh, Brazilian footballer name, Mussolino, um, (laughs) and his chief of staff, Onyx Lorenzoni. Real name. That is his genuine name. Um, threw some uh, Brazilian shade at uh, Emmanuel Macron, because Macron, uh, well, the G7 have offered Brazil £18 million, which is not a lot for a G7. I mean, that's the equivalent of one medium-calibre squad midfielder in a relegation-fighting Premier League football team. <laughs> so I don't know if there's a compromise. <laughs> but I mean, you're a Crystal Palace fan. Oh, yeah, just... we could send him Geoffrey Schlupp. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Problem solved. He could put out With a hose. <laughs> I, I would be laughing at that if I got the reference. <laughs> anyway, uh, Bolsonaro's chief of staff uh, said uh, uh, Macron cannot even avoid a predictable fire in a church that is part of the world's heritage. 
referring to the Notre Dame <laughs> Cathedral fire, and he wants us to give us lessons for our country. <laughs> the difference is being that they put that fire out <laughs> quite quickly, <laughs> and it was one fire caused by carelessness, not 83,000 fires aggravated by government policy. If 83,000 churches in France were burning down due to a new French government policy to offer tax breaks to people for holding barbecues inside spires, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> well, that's the thing, Andy. It is coinciding with these regulations. A record number of fires has uh, come hand in hand with this sharp drop in fines for environmental violations, uh, which is a little worrying given that, meanwhile, in America, Trump is trying to curtail the regulation of methane emissions. Uh, he's, uh, he, like, A, a man who must be super sick of being told that in some cultures his name, mean fa- his name means farts. <laughs> And the physical embodiment of so many hot air jokes, I'm surprised he doesn't explode like the Hindenburg. <laughs> uh, so he wants to curtail the regulation of methane emissions, to the, to, which is a move that even the oil and gas companies oppose. And you know you're in trouble when even cannibals are like, no, 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 thanks for the offer of a conveyor belt of baby flesh, but really I'm watching my weight. <laughs> yeah, but when oil and gas companies think you're not doing enough to protect the environment... That, that's like being lectured by Saudi Arabia on journalist welfare issues. <laughs> um, or female welfare issues, or yeah, I mean, human just, welfare issues. Just fill in your Saudi Arabia joke yes. of your own choice there. Um, <laughs> Donald Trump rolls back environmental regulations like I have hot dinners 84 times in two and a half years. Okay, well, I might have the edge. But still, that's a, that's a lot of uh, environmental regulations he is currently or has already uh, rolled back. He's not too far away, I think, from making it compulsory for all American households to buy a 1950s car, park it outside the nearest school and just leave the engine running all day. <laughs> Otherwise, all the Mexicans will come. And it can only be a matter of time before he issues a government edict forcing all towns to ceremonially spill 50 barrels of toxic chemicals into a nearby river um, because uh, America used to do it when it was great. Uh, <laughs> well, look, Andy, maybe he's just trying to fulfil his campaign promises. If America is on fire, maybe the Mexicans won't want to come. <laughs> there you go, yeah. He also looking at, uh, he's looking at Alaska for more mining and logging opportunities uh, under a new policy entitled Who Needs Inuits? Um, and um, also, I mean, it's got to look long-term as well. We were talking about him, him looking at Greenland. You know, if global warming keeps going at the current rate, Alaska's basically going to be the new Tuscany. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to Greenland this year. You've Beautiful. been to Greenland, haven't you? I have been to Greenland. I'm a, I've, uh, for reasons that I have no idea why, what the origins of it are, I've always been really fascinated by Greenland. <laughs> and, and then I went. And was it fascinating? Yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs> I went to a place to start with. I went to Kulusuk, which is this little Inuit settlement with about, I think the population 320. Uh, and it's just, but it's not like a village of 320 because you can't. The next place is Dalisak, which you which you can only get to in the winter on or using dog sleds and stuff, and that's about 30 miles. And uh, although you can get a helicopter there, but because most of those people can't afford to, you know, they just see this thing. You might as well be watching a bird. It's not anything that they could ever aspire to even. And um, it's just this little settlement, and there's a shop that's open an hour a week, and it's sold. Let's see if I can remember. It, it's sold. Boots, washing powder, a couple of CDs by local Inuit singers, and rifles. <laughs> and <that's... laughs> All the major food groups. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was fantastic. Fantastic place. And I found a cricket match. Because there was some... <laughs> there was some... <laughs> some people from Essex were sort of traipsing doing some sort of 
course or something where they had to go across Greenland on skis or something, and they had to do something to help out the local people. This was in the much bigger town of Dalisak, and so they decided to teach the, the Inuit kids in Dalisak cricket, and they set up a little cricket match. And so me and my son went down, and we sort of helped out coaching these Inuit kids, <laughs> and that means within five years they'll beat England. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, Trump was also in the news for um, uh, allegedly suggesting that uh, we could drop nuclear bombs into the eye of hurricanes to stop the hurricanes. Yes, this was an announcement that made me wonder what really terrible thing he's trying to distract us from now. Uh, the, the suggestion that you could nuke hurricanes implies that he doesn't understand how hurricanes or nukes or wind, or nightmares, or apocalypses work. <laughs> when has nuking anything? When has nuking anything ever been the answer to anything? I want to read his school math test: seven <laughs> times five equals nukes. <laughs> well, I mean, he's denied this story, um, uh, but obviously, no one believes that denial because of who he is. Um, <laughs> And yeah, he denied it, and people have understandably reacted by saying, no, you clearly did suggest nuking hurricanes, and even if you didn't, if that meeting had gone on eight to ten minutes longer, you definitely would have done <laughs> Here you are, Mr President, I've run a computer simulation to predict the things that you would suggest might work to stop a hurricane, factoring in everything you've said and done in your entire life, and look, nuke it comes out top. Second, try to bung it up with immigrant children, see if that slows it down like an overfilled tumble dryer. Third, build a wall around the Atlantic so the hurricanes can't make it to the USA. Fourth, nuke it, bung it up with immigrants and build a wall around it. And fifth, blame Hillary Clinton for it. <laughs> well, I feel like this is a little bit of a boy who cried wolf situation if he did indeed not say it, because there's so many things that he has said that he there's so many things that he has said that he said he hasn't said that at this point. You can almost attribute well, any it, quote to him. It's like Winston it, Churchill. Yeah, but it does... It, one marvellous thing about this is that if there is a hurricane that goes through an area where there's a Trump rally, instead of all fleeing or seeking shelter, they'll just all stand in a big crowd shouting, send it back. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they'll all be sort of scattered across the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> so there's that to look forward to. <laughs> Cricket rendering everything else in the world utterly meaningless news now. And, well, as we touched on before, uh, England won one of the most dramatic cricket matches uh, in history. I don't think it's really appropriate to talk about the desecration of our democracy, the latest uh, hyper-cynical manipulations of our politics, and the attempts to heal the rift in our country by deepening the rift in our country. What we should be focusing on, <laughs> and will focus on now, is one of the greatest cricketing victories ever achieved, therefore one of the defining moments in the history of humanity, and a new entrance to the top ten greatest things in human civilization ever uh, Mark, it was uh, it was an incredible game. For those of you who didn't follow it, uh, it started with Australia uh, being bowled out for 180, then England yep. all out for 67, yep. then keeping Australia to a kind of moderate score, but the target was uh, 359 to win. Which in itself is, even from a starting yep. point, is unusually high. Very, very, very unlikely, especially in a game like that. Yeah, and then so, so England... <clears throat> Lost a couple of early wickets, and this might mean absolutely nothing to some of our listeners, but just bear with us. Um, then recovered, then had another collapse, and it ended up with uh, with Australia needing one further wicket, England needing around about eighty more runs. And yes, ben which Stokes, is... the man who uh, who who was a, one of the key figures in the World Cup final, as we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, at the crease. So, uh, yeah, just the sort of. 
I don't know. It's hard to sort of think uh, if you were to apply it to another game that you sort of might know. I mean, what would it be like? Would it be like being four nil down with three minutes to go or something? It's probably not far from that. And it, but then, you know, all, all sport is about subplots. So Ben Stokes a couple of years ago was arrested for thumping someone outside a nightclub and was and, and only a year ago the court case he was found not guilty and so on, and then. And the the guy at the other end, Jack Lee. So if you don't know cricket, it means you don't the the one the same person doesn't face all the bowling. So you've got to manipulate. He's got so many things to think about. It's extraordinary. It'd be like I suppose because he's got to Ben Stokes as each at the end of each six balls, he's got to get himself up the other end, which is extraordinarily difficult. They're all stomping and do that. And the guy at the other end looks like a librarian and he's got these <laughs> glasses and he was taking them off to wipe them. So it was all the subplots and Stokes when the librarian was facing the bowling, some of the best bowling in the world. Stokes literally couldn't look, which was extra <laughs> the drama of that. He was literally sat on his haunches and faced the other way. And it was just so he's got so many things to think about how how to get these runs so quickly, how to get the ball over the top of everybody into the crowd. Over and over. I suppose in, in America, what would be the equivalent of I've got to hit eight home runs in the next... <laughs> it's probably like that, isn't it? Um, but they're all round the boundary. It's so many things to think about. It'd be like if a golfer came up the 18th fairway, not only having to get a hole in one, but he also had to unify the laws of physics <laughs> as he was doing it. Solve and, the Middle East crisis. Yeah, and make a cake. <laughs> okay, now, one bake-off. It was just <laughs> Okay, now explain it to me. Now explain to me with a ballet analogy, please. <laughs> it was like... It was like the Bolshoi Ballet having to perform an entrechat at the same time as a plie while the man at the other end, who was a 19-stone postman, uh, did a did a backflip. <laughs> Literally. I'd pay to watch that. And the stage was full of uh, randy rhinoceroses as well. <laughs> who were trying to stop them doing it. Yeah. So uh, who would win the ashes? So then, so, the rhinoceros I mean, ashes. Sorry to interrupt <laughs> yes. you, Andy. Don't you have an entire other podcast for this yeah, session I mean, of cricket? Yeah, th yes, yeah. That that will be uh, out. Uh, we're recording that on Monday. Uh, it's called <laughs> Unbelievable with uh, with Felicity Ward, and uh, we're going to further detail. I'm not going to do all the stats here, Alice. Okay, well, that's another four hours worth. Yeah. So if you if you if you took this match and turned it into a metaphor, how many times would it fit into Wales? Seven. Uh, yeah, it's a big, big metaphor. <laughs> well, I think, so, this is what I honestly think. I think what Stokes did was he bent the will of everyone involved around himself. He just looked so dominant. He looked like, I am going to do this and no one is going to stop me. <laughs> and I think that that actually completely, if that's why Nathan Lyon dropped that, that's why they couldn't, they didn't know where they were. Their minds were addled. It was actually really fascinating psychologically because, you know, that you've got all of the, the bowlers kept making the most simple mistakes because they're in a situation where they go, I don't know what to do with him. I don't know. They bowl a perfectly good ball and he plays the most outrageous shot and whacks it over his head for six. And they literally didn't know what to do. So then they, when they were facing 
bowling to Jack Leach, who was the the, the the weaker batsman, then they would deliberate. They would just bowl a ball that was just stupid because their minds were completely gone. And I think even the umpire, I think he was like, "What do I do? I don't know what I do. I've never seen anything like this." And I don't know what you think. Well, he I think maybe he didn't want to spoil it. it would have spoiled I think he the story. didn't want to spoil it. Somehow, deep down, psychologically, Stokes was so extraordinary that he uh, that he just bent everything around him like a huge planet does to space isn't it and i isn't love it him. great that someone who's that like strategically powerful and emotionally influential is putting all of his energy into this particular game yes thank the lord people like that don't turn their don't turn their abilities and their levels of determination to other matters such as taking countries out of yeah, economic <laughs> blocks. <laughs> but anyway, it was uh, quite extraordinary. England snatching victory from the duodenum of defeat, helped by Australia heimlicking the shit out of themselves. <laughs> um, but it just goes to show what we can what we can achieve as a nation, just like the World Cup final. What we can achieve as a nation with considerable help from immigrants. Um, Stokes, <laughs> born in New Zealand. Joffrey Archer from Barbados, two key players. Still, isn't Brexit fun? Well, I think that Stokes, as a result of that, should now be legally entitled to punch whoever he wants <laughs> once a day for a year. And if he chose me, it would be an honour. <laughs> Well, that brings us to the end of uh, this week's uh, Bugle. Um, uh, thanks to everyone who came to see, well, uh, my show and uh, Alice's show and all the other Bugle co-hosts' shows in Edinburgh and the Bugle live shows and a uh, few of you who made it down to Political Animal. Um, no doubt some or all of us will be back uh, next year. There are a couple of Bugle shows to alert you to this Sunday if you are listening to this in time. There is the Bugle Guilty Feminist crossover show, the Feminist Bugle at King's oh. Place. At Guilty Sunday. Bugle, as I'm liking to call it. <laughs> Uh, that is Sunday the 1st of September in October. We have a couple of shows. Glasgow on the 7th of October and Newcastle on the 8th. Uh, live Bugle shows at the Stand Comedy Clubs. Alice? Yes, I have a big show in Melbourne on the 10th of September at the Malthouse Theatre. It is, uh, I, I can't reveal the details yet, uh, but it is for a large streaming service that may or may not be on fire. Um, <laughs> so please do come for that. It's a massive theatre. It's like a 600-seat theatre. So if you're a bugler or if you like my work, please come. 10th of September, Malthouse Theatre in Melbourne. Uh, it'll be good. Mark, have you got any, any shows to Oh, play? yes, I'm doing the Hackney Empire. So it seems a little bit after Melbourne. But the, yeah, the Hackney Empire on October the fifteenth. You come along. I'm also doing a crossover podcast with Nigel Farage uh, <laughs> about fishing. <laughs> well, I would pay good money to see that <laughs> and see who ends up at the bottom of the pond. Um, thank you very much for listening, Buglers. Until next time, goodbye. Bye. To play you out, here are some more lies about our premium-level subscribers. To join them, go to thebuglepodcast.com and click the Donate button. You can choose one of our ready-made packages or just contribute whatever you want on a recurring or one-off basis. Thank you to everyone who has contributed so far. And here are some lies about some of you. Tom Bowling, or Bowling, let's say Bowling, thinks the number of mirrors manufactured and bought each year is completely out of proportion with the number of Medusas at large in the world these days. 
Seth Carbon is ironically made in large part of Carbon, but nevertheless is not a fan of the celebrity element. He prefers less high-profile elements such as potassium, bismuth and above all, antimony. AJ Wells has lost count of the number of times people have called asking how much it would cost to install a well in their garden and whether there was a choice of water or oil. Simon Harding tried to set up a business as a freelance prophet, but resigned after his first prophecy failed to come true. He'd foretold that his next-door neighbour's cat would win a prize at a local pet show. In fact, the cat came last and was described as a bit mangy by one of the judges. Jack Tonkin thinks that if the word gosling refers to a baby goose, then a tiny Christmas tree should be called a sprosling, and a small French grapefruit a pompel mosling. Frank Sterling tried to swim upstream in a river to see what it is like to be a salmon. Sadly, he ended up in a secret government research facility where they're trying to breed giant attack toads for future conflicts. Nabil Charania thinks that scampering should be an Olympic sport, probably in pursuit of a train involving carrying some baggage and possibly an umbrella. Why don't Olympic sports reflect the realities of life, wonders Nabil, who was once fired from a restaurant job for disco throwing a plate of prawns over a customer's head into a chandelier. Frederick Wayman the other day found himself absently strumming a potato in a supermarket, as if it was an oddly round and lumpy guitar. When asked what he was doing, he claimed to be practising for his new root vegetable-themed blues tribute act, Spuddy Guy. Amit Gandhi does not like it when buskers use amplifiers, so keeps a supply of extra-large coins the size of dinner plates that he ostentatiously drops into the busker's collection receptacle while shouting, I've never heard anyone play Stairway to Heaven so beautifully, through a loud hailer. Jason Berg is frankly tired of explaining to casual acquaintances that, unlike other Bergs, you can see all of him. It is simply not the case that 90% of him is in fact hidden underground. Laura Swartz thinks the year 2020 should be postponed. I don't think the world is ready for it yet, says Laura. We should go back to 2010 and have another crack at the whole decade. Tom Begley, however, disagrees and says we should instead skip 2020 and go straight to 2021, see how things have panned out, and then do 2020 afterwards, having learned from the mistakes we will have delayed making. Both Laura and Tom acknowledge there are significant logistical issues involved in their proposals. And finally, Tom, another Tom, not the ex-producer, found that he drank considerably less milk when he labelled all his milk cartons with big stickers saying, Poison. He rationalised it by arguing to himself that if you drank milk non-stop for three to four hours, you would probably die, making it, to all intents and purposes, as good as poison. Here endeth the lies.